Well, good morning. We have an announcement to make that March 8th will be our first Sunday in the new auditorium. Are you excited? I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting because you're looking at saying, you know, some people have heard, you know, it's like could be around the beginning of March, and they're looking at that saying, really? Is that even possible? Uh, it's amazing what can happen when you have a lot of hands on site, and, uh, and they're getting down to just the finish work aspects of it. And so uh, we now have a date we're working with. And, uh, and so on that day, some things are going to change. And, uh, and so the first one being that when you come, at to, come to the church that morning, there's going to be very much a clarity as to where you're going to enter. You know, over the last few months, you had no idea where you might enter this building. But on that Sunday, you'll go in those doors, and you won't have a lift in front of them like that. <laughs> but you will go in those doors, and then you will come into this lobby. All right? I'll let you look at it for a moment. That's what it looked like as of Friday. Uh, so a little bit of paint will go on the walls by the time you get in there. That's actually standing from, more toward the top of the hill, looking back towards the church building to kind of give you a frame of reference. But that is the front, uh, front lobby area. And to the right, uh, you're seeing the welcome desk that will be in the new center. Then, from there, uh, if you have children, you'll actually go up that hallway and you'll see the round desk that's out here. That's actually kind of the, the family check-in or welcome desk. So where you see the Celebrate God uh, frame on the back wall uh, that is right there right now, that's where the kiosks are going to be where you check in your children. And so when you check in your children, then that doorway to the left there is the hallway that goes back into B-Wing. And we'll extend into the new children's space, and you'll uh, take your children there. And so uh, just letting you know some of the new paths you're going to take. Then after you've taken your children in there, then you might be coming into this space. So that is where, the, again, that's what it looked like as of Friday. Uh, so the stage was just, come, uh, for the most part, built this past week or two. And, uh, and so uh, you'll be coming into this space, and on the floor, uh, you know, there will be several sections there. You can choose, or you can come up into the stadium seating area, which is where this was taken from. And then, uh, then you'll have to do this. You're going to have to choose a seat. Uh, gonna have to choose a seat, and and this this might this might cause some stress uh, for some of you, and uh, and that's okay um, because we we understand that creatures of habit are we all are, and because uh, I mean I, I have my different things I do um, when I come in on a Sunday morning and and so on, and and you know if something's a little different I have to. To, you know, it might throw me off my game a little bit, and so I have to give it over to the Lord because somebody might have actually, never mind. Anyway, um, so, you know, you just have those moments, and you, you know, you just keep pressing forward. So, to help everyone out, so that on the Sunday of March 8th, we don't have every single person that comes in our doors clueless as to what to do, on March 4th, there will be an open house, okay? So, uh, from 6 to 7, it's a one-hour time slot. You can show up any time in that hour, and you can walk the building. You can take your children into the building. You can walk your children to their classroom so that they can see it. 
You can go to your ABF rooms. They will be labeled. And so you can figure out which ABF you're going to. Uh, you can look and see where the mailboxes are and see where you're going to put things. Uh, and then, yes, you can go into the auditorium and kind of scope out your seat and uh, figure out where you want to go. So you have basically an hour to do so. And I would recommend coming towards the front side of that because at 7 p.m. we're going to have a Lenten prayer service in the main auditorium over there. And so from 7 to 8, uh, you won't be allowed into the auditorium unless you're going in there to pray uh, with us. So that technically will be the first event, if you will, in the new auditorium is, is an evening of prayer, uh, which we're going to be doing on the Lenten season, during the Lenten season, starting on February 26th. So on February 26th, we'll be in this room. And the, so the first two weeks, we'll be doing a time of prayer in this room. And then from the rest of the Lenten season, we'll be in the new auditorium. And so uh, this is exciting. I, I'm very excited. But I also recognize there's fear that can kind of go along with that. Um, fear of change. The reality is, is even those of us that like change, there are times when things do change that fear is related to it. And if fear is what you feel mostly over excitement, I, my question then would be, is your fear about something that is more about your personal preference or is it about something that is related to an absolute? In other words, something moral. I know that over the years, over the years, churches have divided over music. Music is one of the most divisible things historically over the times of the church. And, and so I know people have come to LEFC because of our music. I know people that have left LEFC because of our music. Who's right? Who's right? And, and, and so then you, you go back in history and you'll find that when drums came into the church, people were saying, you know, those beats are coming from some tribal dance in Africa that was to a foreign god and, and so on. And so people are saying, so therefore, the, the drums were of the devil. And then there were seasons where the electric guitar became the stringed instrument of Satan. Forgiving Matt, who was over here on this side earlier. You know, there's just different seasons where things new coming into the church were received with a bit of fear. It's interesting, and I couldn't find it, but I remember when I was in college, a professor handed out a, a quote that was from the antiquity of church experiences. And, and what this quote said, No other instrument has come into the church that will be wielded by Satan more than this instrument. It is going to lead to the downfall of the church. So we're reading this, and the professor says, now I want you to tell us what instrument they're speaking of. And of course, this is in the 90s, because I was in college in the early 90s, and, and, and so several of us were saying the drums or the electric guitar, uh, perhaps the bass. But then this person said, well, the date was this, and they went back several hundred years, and again, I couldn't find the date. But it was speaking of the pipe organ. Now, some of you would say, that is truly the heavenly instrument. And we do not have an organ. LEFC has never had an organ since 1980 in our inception, which, by the way, last week was the 40th anniversary of this church. 
We will celebrate that as part of the dedication of the, the new building on March 29th. But in the 40-year history of this church, we've never had a pipe organ. We're not against the pipe organ. We've just never had it. That instrument costs several hundred thousand dollars to install. And so it's just never been seen as something that was essential enough to spend that kind of money. But isn't it then a matter of perspective as to what is heavenly and what is not? So, in the end of the day, is, are your fears of change the lie ahead for the church more about your preferences, or is it about something that truly is moral or immoral? And then you have to ask, what is biblical? What is biblical about what is coming ahead? And I would like to even pose this question, is it biblical to be more same, or is it more biblical to seek change. Let's be honest with ourselves. Is it more biblical to be same or is it more likely to be greater biblical that to say and suggest change is better? Now there is true there are things that are in Scripture you're going to find both. So we're going to be going to a passage of Scripture called from Romans chapter 12. And so the, the ushers will be able to provide Bibles to you. If you do not have one, just simply put up your hand and they'll give you one. And in the Bible that they're handing out will be on page 1063. But to make a point before we get to the text of Romans 12, I want to just go through some Scripture to basically make a point as to what is the more biblical approach to life. Is it same or is it change? Now, if something is perfect, same is what you want. Same is what you would expect if something is perfect. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, and it'll be on the screen, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen? <laughs> there we go we're with me now all right good i am so glad that jesus is the same yesterday today and forever i am very glad because he is perfect and i don't want that character of his to shift at all but it would be bad if you said tony hunt is the same yesterday today and forever And you'd be saying amen that you don't want to say. <laughs> Isn't it true that we would not want to say that you and I would remain the same yesterday and today and, and tomorrow and the days ahead? We would not want that for ourselves. That's not what we know God would expect of us. And it's certainly not what we would want to expect of ourselves. But in Scripture, when it talks about the imperfection or let's just say, the beauty of each day, you will hear words like new, not old. Psalm 33, verse 3 says, Sing to him a new song. Play it skillfully and shout for joy. I told the worship team this morning that I was going to be reading this verse, and they're like, ooh, that's a high standard. Playing it skillfully. But we're called 
and charged with this idea of sing to him a new song and sing it and play it well and sing it with energy. Psalm 96.1 says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. So it's meant to be all-inclusive. It's not to be done by generations. Well, the older generations, they have their choices. They've already been written. The songs have already been written that are of God. We're only going to sing that song. No, it says all the earth is to sing a new song, which means that sometimes we have to sing the songs of the next generation. Did you notice this morning our song set went through the generations? That was intentional. Some of you, it was so funny that... Um, the singer that was over here, the young one, she was singing the song, Shout to the Lord All the uh, Shout to the Lord All the Earth, you know. And all oh, this whole side, I heard it. She began to sing that song. And she admitted this morning she had never heard that song until Friday. You see, she's 16 years old. You do the math, you realize she wasn't alive in the previous millennium when that song was written. I remember being in college when that song came out. Sing to the Lord a new song. And we're all, all part of the earth. So therefore the whole earth is to sing that new song. Psalm 40 verse 3 says, He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Whoa, wait a second. New song and hymn used together. Can I dispel... A common idea? Hymns have been finally completed. The canon of hymn writing is done. That is an incorrect statement. Hymns are still being written today. Hymns are still being written today. There are songs today that will live beyond the current generation. Just as the songs we sung earlier that might have come from the 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s, and now the 2010s, those songs, many of them will live beyond into the next generation. And they will become a hymn. We know that, yes, hymns are meant to be, to be repeated. You even read in the scriptures that after Jesus had served communion to his disciples on the night he was going to be betrayed, after they left that table, they sung a hymn that clearly all of them had been taught, that clearly all of them had known probably since their childhood. So we know that hymns are still part of today. We're even charged in today's church to speak to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, we're to sing new songs to each other, we're to sing old songs to each other, and we're to continue to relive songs that are spiritual that lift up our spirits. So new, old, but always growing. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are what? New every morning. What if the compassion of God just finished yesterday? 
And it wasn't new today. Could you imagine? If the compassions of the Lord were not new every morning, what would that change about our singing? You wouldn't be able to say, probably with the strength of that final phrase, great is your faithfulness. Remember that hymn? You see, the compassions of the Lord are new every morning. Not because his character has changed. His character is the same. And because his character is the same, then we can rise confidently each morning that his mercies and his compassions are new each morning. And that is encouraging. Consider this, 2 Corinthians chapter, I mean, sorry, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And it says this, and this is a song that is yet to be sung, by the way. But it says, at the end of time, they will sing a new song saying, You, being Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you, Jesus, were slain with your blood. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Oh man, amen to that, right? I mean, there will be a day when all the tribes of the world will be able to join in the same new song. Where all the languages of the earth can unify before the lion and the lamb and worship under a new banner, a new song. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. And this is when there was arguments in the church whether to stay the same or to do something different. And, and Paul basically says this, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Lives being changed. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live an old life. No, a new life. It's meant to be different and changing always, growing towards that more like which Christ lived. And Acts chapter 5 verse 20 says, and go stand, this is a charge to the church, go stand in the temple courts, which is the place of worship and the place where people were preparing to come before God. And he said to say this, and tell the people all about this new life. So I ask you, is it better to receive and seek change or should we just stay the same? You see, I think if the Spirit of the Lord is working within us, then we're going to look forward to each day with new compassion and new mercy and consider a new way to live today. Growing each and every day to discover what that new life is all about, informed by the life of Jesus Christ that we read 
in his word. So now I go to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read just two verses. And it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is a charge from Paul to the Roman believers at that time. And his charge was that basically life is going to change. And he gives basically the, the, what I would call an organic process by how most people would be transformed and changed and made to be different. And it begins with having the lens of God. In other words, having, seeing life through the lens of God's great mercy. I mean, he says at the beginning of, of verse 1, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. When you look throughout your day at the things that are happening around you and the people that are around you, if you look through the lens of mercy, it might shift what you think about that person, what you might think about that moment, it might cause you to behave differently, it's going to have an effect. Because how we see things often determines how we will then apply our actions. So in light of that, we are to see life through the lens of God's great mercies, which, as we read earlier, is new every morning. It was new every morning. This past week, I've, we spend time in prayer as a staff in the morning each day to start the day. So the prayer requests you put on the cards are brought out, and then we add to them, and we pray over those things. This past week alone, I overheard people, not knowing what was going to be in the sermon, praying, thank you, God, your mercies are new this morning. And I would just smile each time, knowing that I'm going to reference that this Sunday. And I am truly thankful that when I woke up this morning, I could see, man, his mercies are new this morning. And by that, we look through a new lens. But then as you look as after that, it says, then in view of God's mercy, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as this is your true and proper worship. Basically saying this idea of a living sacrifice. In other words, a sacrifice that doesn't annihilate you or finish you. You know, typically when the lamb <laughs> was placed on the altar and they were sacrificed, that lamb's life was done. The only lamb's life that, that was lived beyond the altar was Jesus himself. And he became the living sacrifice on our behalf where he died but then came back to life so that you and I have a means by which we can anticipate a greater glory. But then now he calls us to the same process, to be living sacrifices, which means 
I am called by God to give up my rights to lead my life. That's what a living sacrifice basically means, is that I am called by God to give up my rights to lead my life. In other words, it's not about me. It's about God and him using me to glorify him and to benefit others. It's about I, me surrendering all, which again, just hearing that phrase, some of you, that's a great hymn, right? So it's about surrendering all, even that which is most precious to you. You see, a lot of people would sing that old hymn, say, I surrender all to Jesus, but yet it's like, but I still want control of my kids. I, want, I still want control of my career. I want control of my finances. I want control of my church. You could create whatever it is, but there are a lot of people, it's like, it's not about surrendering all to them. We say that in thinking that I'll surrender all in the sense of, I'll let my identity be known as a follower of Christ. But in the reality, are we truly practicing a surrendering where we are a living sacrifice each day saying, it's not my rights that I'm going to hold on to. It's going to be a surrendering to God leading my life. So therefore, it's a day, each day decision of making sure that I am surrendering all. And then he says, if you do this, this is part of the process by which we are becoming more and more holy. Which holy means set apart for a special purpose. You see, God wants to use your life for a special purpose. To be set apart, different from the rest of the world. And then he says, by this, this becomes the aroma of worship before God. That's how he ends verse 1. By saying, this is your true and proper worship. When you surrender your rights to lead your life and let him lead. And then your life is all about what matters to him not what matters to you. And then this truly reflects worship. But then he brings in some other language in verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which basically says this, Be transformed, changed, not conformed, same. You understand what I mean by that? We are called to a transformation, which is referring to changing, becoming new, not conforming, which is just being a part of the norm of society. You see, conforming is merely a spirit of compliance to whatever is around you. That's what conforming is. It's a spirit of compliance to whatever is around you. In other words, if the culture around you is this... I'm just going to be that. I'm going to be just like the rest of it. There's nothing different. There's nothing that would create change. So therefore, by being a conformed person to the pattern of this world, nobody's going to be changed or affected by your life because you're just like them. You're same. But we're called, rather, to change or to be transformed, to be made different. And transformation happens by the daily renewing of the mind. 
And that's how it's expressed here in the Greek, is it's this ongoing process of renewing of your mind. Now that happens through what I was told growing up, garbage in, garbage out. Good things in, good things come out. This was put to the test in my life when I was, uh, before I kind of surrendered my life to Christ, my mom was starting to sense the behaviors in me not being quite right. And so, and I'm sure it wasn't more as much a sense as it was very evident to her, but for me, it came off as she's smelling something isn't quite right. And, and so one of the things she challenged me on was the music I was listening to. And she said, you know, would you ever consider listening to something different? Like, would you listen to Christian music more exclusively? And I'm like, oh, I listen occasionally to Christian music. It's no big deal to listen to the other. And, and, and what I was kind of belittling or minimizing was that I was listening to about 90% non-Christian music and about 10% of the Christian. And, and I was thinking, you know, if I hear curse words in the music, I would turn the radio channel, you know, the dials, Things change. And, and so I, I would turn the dial and go to a different radio station, which I had about three options at the time, being in, in the middle of Kansas. But, but at that, you know, so I thought, you know, I'm not being affected. So my mom challenged me, says, would you be willing for one month to listen exclusively to Christian music and see if there's anything different? And I thought, this is an opportunity for me to prove I'm not being affected. So I took her at her challenge. For 30 days, I listened only to Christian music. I will tell you, it affected me. It changed me. It changed my perspective. The things I was thinking about shifted. I began to have a different attitude. The spirit was different. And even I could not deny the effect, which then led to two years of exclusive listening to Christian music. And it was during that season of time that God got a hold of my life. There was a renewing of the mind that was happening. You see, there was messaging, even in the most simple of songs that the secular would offer, and that I'd minimize that. Now, I will listen to country music or sometimes a, a pop song and, or two, but it's not my diet. It's more like occasional. And I'm very quick to turn the station now or to switch or touch the screen and go to something else. Because I'm very sensitive to it now. I sense very quickly when the messaging is off off base. My mind has truly been on a journey for now 20 plus years of being transformed and renewed. And I can tell you, as a result, it's not as difficult as it used to be to figure out what does God want in my life. The more my life has been transformed by the renewing of my mind, that struggle of discerning the will of God has gotten less and less. It's just part of the journey. And when you look at what it says in, in verse 2, 
Do not conform again to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. If this is what's going to happen to you, where your mind is being renewed, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I was watching a movie this past week called The Kingdom of Heaven. It's the history of Jerusalem during the Crusades. And it was interesting how the Crusaders, when they were bloodthirsty and ready for battle, there would be some person that would give a great speech as to why we should run to battle. And then you'd hear somebody from the crowd go, God wills it! God wills it! And as soon as somebody would say that, they would all start chanting, God wills it. Let's go to war. You see, in that case, we can try to ascribe to God his will when our minds are very much set upon worldly conformity. How do you know that you're not ascribing to God something that is not his will unless your sensitivity in spirit and mind is there? So it is true. Each day, compassion and mercy of God is new. But it is also true that each day, God is wanting to lead us into a new life where this mind that is easily conforming to the world is being challenged and charged to be transformed by a renewal, a renewing work of God. So living for him, to be changed by him, helps us to know where to go. Say that again. Living for him, to be changed by him, helps us know where to go. There are times that, yes, even though my mind is being renewed each day and I'm still growing in that, there are times when, yes, seeking the will of the Lord is still a journey. But it's not a mystery as to each day's decisions. Because I've learned what the holiness of God looks like. And when you know what the holiness of God looks like, you know the standards by which to live. So I conclude with this. We are called to embrace change. It's easy to poke at the word change when we're about ready to go through a major change as a church. And if you're a new person here and you've never been in our church before, we've been worshiping in this space for a very long time. Nearly 20 years in the shape that it is now. This used to be our auditorium. This was added in 2002. That was change when it happened. And this church made it through and we got through okay. When we leave this room and we go about 100 and 100 yards or so that way, we'll be fine too. But I think ultimately, it's the spirit and the heart of a person that will decide, do we live by fear or do we live by the leadership of the Holy Spirit where we can discern what his will is? So embracing change requires this, a new perspective. Pleasing God requires a new perspective. It's looking through the lens of his compassion and his mercy. And number two, knowing God's will requires a new mind. 
So when we begin to see things differently, then we'll begin to think differently. And then lastly, if we have a different way of looking at things, and we have a different mind by the which we think about those things, then our attitude will be different because we'll become more like Jesus and his attitude. And what I've discerned and discovered in my own life is faith comes alive when we get out of the rut and we welcome God stretching us to be used for his glory. I want to say that again. Because some of us have been faith followers of Christ for a very long time, but you've been in a rut for a very long time. Faith comes alive when we get out of the rut and welcome God stretching us to be used for his glory. How long has it been since you've been used to his glory? If it's been a long time, perhaps you need to go on a journey again and letting God renew your mind. Renew your perspective so that you have a new attitude. And then you'll welcome the stretching that comes with the new mercies and new compassion each and every day. Let's pray. So God, I say thank you. <laughs> thank you for those seasons where you stretched me quite significantly. Even in my teenage years, I could say I hit that coast button where I didn't want change. Then I remember in my young adult years hitting the coast button and not wanting to change. And then yes, even in these middle age years, I've, I've hit the button of coasting and rejecting change. And God, I, I confess that those seasons were seasons where my faith grew dull. So Lord, I believe to this morning your mercies are new, your compassion is new. And I praise you for that. And now I ask that you would renew our minds because we have seen through the view of your mercy an opportunity to live anew each and every day. So stretch us, Lord. Pull us out of our rut. And may our faith thrive like it never has before. All this to your glory and in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, we've got an opportunity to declare a new life. If you are new here this morning and you do not know who Jesus Christ is, he comes not to judge or condemn the world, but to give life to the world. He's coming to give new life. I will tell you that we are all here, those of us who are in Christ, as walking testimonies that God can do the miraculous. He can change a life, he can make it new, and he can change each day what your trajectory is. And so that's what we're called to, and that's the opportunity is for a new life. So if you're lacking hope, Christ is the hope. If you're lacking opportunity to see what tomorrow might hold and have purpose for it, Christ gives purpose. That's what he sets us apart for. And so it's an opportunity to receive. We'll have people underneath the cross who would be glad to pray with you and introduce you to this new life and to uh, share the good news that comes in the hope of Jesus Christ.
And so I trust that for those of you who have known Jesus for a long time, that you'll get out of the rut. Faith can be vibrant again. It's meant to be new every morning and to have freshness, to see the things that God sees through the lens of his mercy and his grace. Amen. Have a great day. May you live set apart and holy and worship him through a new life. Amen.